Welcome to the Voices in Japan podcast with Ben and Burke. On this episode, we are joined by Merrick from Los Angeles. He is the creator of Hacking Tokyo, which is a really great quick start guide to life in Tokyo and Japan. The guide is especially useful and designed for people who have very little Japanese skills. It has 65 pages, 10 chapters, two appendices covering everything from getting a visa, searching for work, socializing and dating, shopping and dining, Japanese etiquette, and a whole lot more. Please check out the homepage for the guide at hackingtokyo.com. We'll put a link for that in the episode description. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, please send us an email to voicesinjapan at gmail.com. All right, let's learn more about the guy who created Hacking Tokyo, why he decided to do so, his thoughts on dating in Tokyo, and much, much more. Ich, ni, san. Did you say you're like in the Philippines right now? You're not, you're not in Japan. I am. Yeah, I'm not in Japan. Kind、What's、of、cool? taking a break from Japan life. Yeah, I left a couple, about a couple years ago. Definitely could see myself going back there and spending a lot more time there too, though. So it's not like a permanent thing necessarily.、Um, and I even published the book after I moved here. <laughs> oh, really? I completed、oh. and published the book after I moved here. It turned out. <laughs> To take a lot longer than I thought. I think anyone who's written something like this can probably say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like complete. I mean, that's the first thing I said to Ben is that it's very obvious that a lot of time went into、uh, preparing the ebook. And obviously, there's a lot that、uh, I want to ask you about that、uh, in a little bit. But I mean, do you want to talk about what you're doing in the Philippines? You don't really want to talk about it. Oh, yeah, sure. That's <laughs>、uh, not anything secret.、Um, So, the Philippines,、uh, basically, I'm like a dual citizen,、uh, US and Philippines. Oh, nice.、Um, so, yeah, I've kind of always been intrigued by the idea of living here as well as Japan and was even planning on moving here before Japan ever happened. But yeah, towards the end of my time in Japan, it just felt like it's kind of time to try to get that experience of living out here.、Um, And like I said, I have dual citizenship. So I don't have to worry about like a work visa, which is one of the things I definitely have to worry about in Japan.、Um, I can kind of live here and do my own thing. Going there was、yeah. kind of like a personal motivation too. It wasn't just strictly work related or something. Yeah, kind of an exploring my heritage sort of thing. I think, Burke, you mentioned that you're half Japanese. Yeah. Both、so. you guys? My,、uh, my family are from Hong Kong.、Oh, okay. Yeah, so,、uh, but yeah, I, I, similar thing. I, I always go back to Hong Kong to kind of try and, you know, find my roots and get close with relatives who I don't really have a relationship with. So, yeah, I always feel kind of, you know, drawn to, to go back, even though I've never、nice. lived there before or, you know, I wasn't born now. I was born in England. But yeah, you always feel drawn to, you know, go back to your, your roots. Yeah, it's, yeah, for me, it's something very much like that.、Uh, the fact that I'm a citizen here, I, can, I don't have to worry about visa stuff. I can basically work on creative projects, and this ebook is one of them. 
Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Because, I mean, you, are you originally from California? You just went to school in California? I think I saw something like that on your profile. Yeah, yeah. Like originally from L.A. Um, went to, I basically spent my whole life in L.A. before moving to Japan. And went to USC, University of Southern California. The uh, focus of my master's was definitely like a mix of music and engineering. I, I also have a music background. Grew up playing classical music. I uh, was in orchestras and then later in bands playing keyboards and stuff like that. And yeah, music's always been a thing for me. Uh, producing electronic music was kind of a dream for me. It still is. Uh, I did some of that while I was in Japan too. Yeah, so did you end up coming to Japan through work or did you come here like just with the intention of coming here and doing something or how did you get to Japan? It was, yeah, it was the simple answer would be work. Um I was working for an audio engineering company in LA. Uh, it was about seven years into it at the time. One of the engineers in the Tokyo office left. Uh, so that became an opportunity for me. But yeah, more accurately, it was really a lot of reasons. I had this kind of fascination about Japan. Never really studied uh, about the country, but it was just kind of the concept of it. Um, like this mystical place where incredibly good food and amazing products and works of art came from and beautiful girls. <laughs> um, and I was able to take a bunch of business trips over there. And I still remember how awesome it was to just go out on my own and explore. So yeah, when the work opportunity came, I was already itching to leave LA and I'd been in LA all my life. So experiencing life abroad was kind of a big thing I wanted to try. You were working at that company the whole time you're in Japan? Yeah. So it's the same company in LA, so seven years in LA and then moved to the Japan office. The role kind of changed, um, actually changed in a pretty big way. I was doing like R&D engineering, like speaker design, audio algorithms, basically anything with, a digital, with digital audio and a speaker, we could improve the sound on. Um, I was doing a lot of that type of work in LA, but then in Japan, it became much more about like technical sales, like supporting existing customers out there trying to get new business that kind of thing is so that, so did that mean you had to use did you have to use like a lot of japanese or you i didn't actually to? it was kind of a special role um yeah that's a good that's a good question i was it was mostly just kind of supporting my japanese well whatever coworker went with me to the meeting could be the head of the op could be the sales guy could be engineers I'm basically just kind of supporting on the technical level. I started at my company really early, so I was able to kind of get involved in all sorts of aspects of everything there. So it was um, kind of easy to sort of be useful in Japan. Like what's the makeup between Japanese employees and foreign employees at that company? Uh, so it was a super small office. Technically, it wasn't even incorporated. It was actually a office of consultants, you could say, or contractors. Mm. Um, everyone in the Japan office was Japanese. There were just four others at the time I joined. So really small. And oh, even yeah. the office itself was not an office space. It was actually a condo unit in a residential building. Totally different from, you know, like the you know, whatever typical uh, work environment there is in Japan or anywhere, really. So you would... Uh the only foreigner at that time with uh with a, an, in that little room i was yeah 
So how how was that like not not being able to speak Japanese? Well, I guess they could all speak English or or something like that. Um, the head of the office could speak a decent amount of English, and so could the so could my coworkers, my engineering coworkers. But yeah, I guess thinking about it now, it really was a special situation because the head of the office was like a good buddy of mine, or became a good buddy of mine, a Japanese guy, sales and business development background. And he kind of supported getting me out there in the first place. Uh, he had taken a bunch of business trips to LA and, and I would invite him out to drinks and soccer and whatever. And we'd also be able to hang out in Japan when I took business trips over there. It definitely helped that he had a decent handle on English and liked to go out and have fun. Yeah, and It sounds like a really unique kind of experience that a foreigner can have in Japan. I, th- I think it's quite rare. Isn't, I don't know. Yeah, how how rare it is true. for <laughs> yeah for someone to just yeah. come in, especially through like a a sister company or brother company. I think that's that's quite a lucky opportunity to have instead of coming in like cold, you know, where you don't totally. know anyone, you don't know anything. So you're you're probably uh, a lot better equipped, better prepared than than most people would if they're just coming in from an, another country. That's true, and I think. Um... I even maybe took it for granted a bit how much help I got from everybody, like the head of the office. Um, And technically uh, the way it worked out was I was an employee of a Japanese company. Since my company wasn't incorporated in Japan, um, I had to be hired as an employee of another Japanese company that was kind of the in-between. So yeah, it really was a unique situation. They helped me out a lot too. But while you were there, like, uh, did you meet a lot of other foreigners in the expat community or were you kind of outside of that or? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, definitely. And I think my friend group became more and more foreigner (laughs) as Mm. time went on. Um, in the beginning I did meet lots of Japanese people, including through my boss. Um, but they, they didn't end up becoming close friends because of the language barrier basically, but they did become drinking buddies. So, you know, what we would do in the beginning is before I was officially an expat, I was actually on tourist visa in the beginning and I'd leave every three months um, to renew my visa. So we'd throw these three month parties and just like round up all the people we knew and and drink at a cheap izakaya nearby. So, um, (laughs) yeah, it was a pretty great experience in the beginning. The working conditions were they were they quite different? I'm guessing, and was anything that surprised you in the way they did things in Japan in a Japanese office compared to when you're in America? Well, I already had some familiarity some familiarity with it because I had done those business trips to Japan, and basically was doing similar things on those trips as I was um, when I was working in the office. Uh, you know, basically just joining a bunch of meetings with potential customers, um, technology demonstrations, that kind of thing. As far as kind of like how things were coordinated or run in the office, it was still pretty a Western environment being a kind of small tech company. It wasn't like your typical, it wasn't a typical like large difference you would have uh, between American and Japanese companies. So you didn't get to experience the the senpai, kohai Situation. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, that's always <laughs> better very worse. interesting. <laughs> right. But what about like when you're having these business meetings with clients and stuff? Are they kind of like 
do they have a Japanese feel of formality or is it like in that industry oh. and the people you're meeting and stuff, was it a lot more casual or? Right. Definitely. So those meetings, um, 99% of those business meetings were with Japanese businessmen and typically Japanese. Um, although, you know, in tech, it's not as formal. I get the sense that it's just not as formal as with other industries, but I, you know, definitely was exposed to that formality of business card introductions and the, the whole like um, meeting formality, long periods of silence and that, that kind of thing. How far into your time in Japan did you start to think about uh, this project of hacking Tokyo, which is obviously very extensive, uh, like a lot of time has gone into this. I mean, I think you covered pretty much everything that I could think can be covered. And so I'm kind of yeah. curious, like, uh, was this yeah. brought on by personal experience or you just like see a lot of people having like trouble adjusting and figuring stuff out? When, when did it all start? A lot of it was personal experience or like to some degree personal experience, but yeah, it started Actually, two to three years in, uh, I started compiling like a list of resources that I thought could be useful for people, but I never did anything with it. And then a couple years later, I was just chatting with my college friend, T. Chan. She's a freelance graphic designer, and we often chatted about business ideas and things. We both felt, felt like it had potential. So yeah, we went for it. I did talk to a bunch of other friends in Japan who went through similar frustrations, like in the beginning at least, how to use English in a useful way, how to find English-friendly services for this or that, and felt like uh, we all could have used some some sort of manual like this. Well, that's kind of one thing I've thought about. I, I mean, this has everything. It's, I, I mean, it uh, also has a lot of specific stuff for Tokyo, but it has stuff like made for people even outside of Tokyo. But, I mean, it has everything specifically. It's like transferring money, uh, job site recommendations for job searching. Actually, some of these I didn't really know about, so it's kind of been an update for me too. But then it has other detail uh, explanations about processes, for example, for applying for permanent uh, residency. I mean, it's kind of like all across the board. So, like, right, uh, right, yeah. Where was this just like built up over time, or did you start to like think about what would people need to know, or? I think at the point that I decided to really do this book, it then became like, like a lot of additional research. Um, Cause the idea was originally just as kind of like a list of resources, but then it became, how can I make like a quick start guide for people, like a primer for new arrivals in Tokyo and anyone thinking to move there. I wanted to avoid like a lot of the unnecessary details and kind of jump straight into the, like what are the best English friendly resources and techniques and how to cope without Japanese that became kind of the vision. Yeah. And I, I really like um, <clears throat> the, the parts you wrote about kind of the, the social uh, you know, making friends and the dating kind of section. And mm. I, I reckon I, I noticed the a part where you say that it's really hard to kind of make long-term friends because people leave after a short uh, amount of time, like a few months yeah. to a year or something. So, yeah. I've, I'm, I mean, I've experienced that too, but it seems like, I, I guess you've experienced that, but would you say that you've made um, friends who have stayed for a long time as well? It's really a mixed bag. Yeah, there are some. Well, uh, I've also have, I also have actually a few ex-coworkers there 
and they both intend to stay there long-term. One, an American guy, one, a Japanese, but he uh, studied in the U.S. and pretty westernized. So it really is uh, pretty mixed. But yeah, that, that can definitely be a difficult experience, like making good friends, so, you know, starting a pretty new good friendship. Um, and then six months later, they're like on their way out. <laughs> um, so that happened quite a lot. And that was pretty difficult. Something about you know, Tokyo is such a different place, or Japan really is just such a different place. I feel like it takes kind of a unique personality type or like a real sort of strong interest in Japan itself to want to stay there for a really long time or to be able to kind of like feel comfortable uh, as a foreigner for a super long time. Yeah. Mm. How, how, about your, how about yourself? Do you feel like you could come back and stay here for a, a longer time, longer period of time? Yeah, I think so. Um, actually, what I've been thinking for a while now is like, if I had my way, I would just kind of split myself, split my time between Japan, US and Philippines. I guess that means I wouldn't really want to settle anywhere. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Japan specifically, I could imagine like, for example, I could imagine settling down there. But if it was on my own terms, like if I could support myself with my own business and continue doing like creative or side projects like this one. And would it, would it be in Tokyo that you'd want to live in if you did come back to Japan or would you try to experience somewhere else? Probably Tokyo. But, you know, I am really curious. There are places I haven't explored, tons of places that I haven't explored in Japan. But Tokyo is where a lot of the opportunity is, especially in audio or creative projects. So Yeah, I think um, like Sapporo, there's probably not as much of that going around. But even if there is, I think just the, the standard of pay is a lot more, a lot better in Tokyo as well, which is why mm. I guess a lot of people do head to Tokyo or tend to stay there. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I never made it my way up there to uh, Sapporo, but I did really want to. Also, Okinawa. Um, kind of regret not <laughs> taking the time to to make those trips, but yeah. Yeah, it's kind of uh, a lot of what people say, like either coming up to Sapporo because it is like the northernmost part of uh, Japan, and then people all say Okinawa in the same breath a lot because it is the southernmost part of Japan mm. and everything. But I also kind of like. I mean, I was thinking about it too, just because some of the other people that we've talked to um, that have lived in Tokyo and other parts of Japan. And uh, obviously, I think like settling down in Tokyo, I think it's, uh, I don't know how many people like come there, you know, intending to consider uh, settling down there just because maybe it is on a temporary assignment. But I think in Tokyo, like, just like you said, like a lot of people are looking for new opportunities or a lot of people are talking about opportunities all the time too. So the pace, it's a much different pace. And I think the thing on most people's mind is, is something different and usually it's career oriented and stuff. So it's, I think it's a little bit different from Sapporo in that sense. I wanted to, uh, yeah, kind of talk about your, your DJing career in, mm. uh, in Tokyo. How, how was that? How did sure. you get into that? Um, I wouldn't call it a DJing career necessarily. <laughs> it's totally just a side thing. I didn't actually intend to do that. And um, I mean, I've been a musician for a really long time, but never really saw myself as a DJ. But it just kind of happened. I had this Airbnb experience. <laughs> uh, there's like this DJ cache on uh, 
Airbnb. I did a session with that guy, kind of like got familiar with the whole like, what's it like to DJ in a club sort of thing. And just sort of slowly got into it. First played a couple gigs at my friend's bar called Daikan Yamalaj. And, and yeah, like did a few gigs around town, Ruby, Kitsune in Shibuya and a handful of other gigs. And this was, um, these were like paid, paid as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty small pay, um, but they were paid gigs. So that was kind of neat. Is it, do you think it's, it's doable to, I don't know, make a, make a living off DJing in Tokyo? I mean, obviously not unless you're like a super famous DJ, but just being right, a right. middle of the range DJ, is, is that possible? Hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> or <laughs> you, I don't know. I think you'd really struggle unless you're just really good at kind of setting yourself apart somehow with marketing or with skills. Um, I think it'd be really difficult. Uh, there are a lot of DJs in Tokyo. Did you meet any famous yeah. ones? I didn't. I was playing pretty small, uh, pretty small bars and events and things, kind of just as a hobby. Yeah, I was towards the end. I was thinking of trying to play some bigger gigs, but just it it never ended up happening. Yeah, I wonder how those places are actually doing right now. Like, I mean, I think obviously a lot of them might still be closed down if they <clears throat> were uh, asked to close down at some point due to coronavirus. I was just talking to somebody. Yeah who's up at our jiu-jitsu gym that, uh, you know, he runs security for one of the clubs here in Sapporo. And he said that uh, that club is like looking at how to reopen right now. Uh, How much does it make sense or how could they go about doing it? But obviously I think a lot of those people that were working in those places, um, I mean, I wonder what they've been doing uh, since like the state of emergency and other things like that have taken place. Cause you know, I don't think a lot of them have been open and I'm wondering they think they'll be able to reopen at some point and how they're going to do that at a dance club. Cause Japan is finally starting to reopen now, like from this weekend and last weekend and stuff. So the, those are definitely places where the virus would spread. So <laughs> I, I, I do wonder how that's going to be affected. I would think it's pretty seriously affected, but then again, you'll hear about, you know, Tokyo having massive crowds or at least in the beginning of the whole COVID thing. So yeah, I wonder talking about that whole social life in Tokyo a little bit it also something I wanted to ask you about because in your uh in your ebook uh also part of the uh in the part about like social life and everything it does talk about dating and uh Mm. it does seem to a certain degree kind of uh maybe tame expectations maybe I can say like uh (laughs) for somebody who may think they're gonna come over here and and have an awesome dating life because uh, that is kind of a an image that people have for foreign guys that go to Japan. I mean, I think we've even kind of uh, portrayed that image a little bit on some of our episodes that we've talked about and stuff. But uh, mm. but, but you did kind of seem like you wanted to make sure people were aware of uh, what could be a different reality here and stuff, or maybe what is the reality here. And was there something that kind of made you feel like that uh, it would be important to kind of uh, explain things that way? I hope people don't see it as something like too negative. <laughs> I don't think like I negative. personally had a great time um, with my social life in Japan and dating and including a couple of long-term girlfriends. Um, but yeah, it does take time and patience, like the whole socializing and dating stuff. And I've met guys who have had like 
equally as great time as I was having, but also others who were just not and kind of frustrated, um, didn't feel like they could really connect with girls over there or guys. And the language barrier could definitely be uh, a big issue. I think especially with a language barrier, people should not have such crazy expectations and kind of better understand the situation and even the culture before uh, knowing what to expect. Yeah, like what was the biggest thing? Was it uh, language or was it culture or was it just, uh, I mean, guys were expecting they would be dating like Japanese supermodels when they came over? (laughs) Yeah, just something about like, for example, uh, guys would complain about girls just not being interested in anything that they were interested in. Um, Like all they could get out of them was that they liked shopping or (laughs) ice cream or Disney. (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, actually it's, it's, I think it's partly their own fault for not necessarily like trying to dig deeper um, and find some connection. So yeah, it's a mix. It's a mix of language, culture, uh, just, just the differences. Um, maybe people are more used to kind of like the Western uh, relationship where things are a bit more, feel a bit more equal. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a lot of it too is when you kind of meet Japanese people for the first time, they're not really very open until you kind of mm. really get to know them. Whereas maybe in our countries, our home countries, when you meet someone for the first time, a lot of time they are very forward and, how they think about things and they're quite opinionated. So yeah. even though they, they might have these same opinions, the Japanese people, but they're just holding them back until you can build that stronger relationship, which I guess some people don't have the patience for that. And that <laughs> may be why they've had those negative experiences. And it's just about putting a bit more time in and being a bit more patient. I think. Yeah. And uh, being a bit more understanding even like right. to the point of maybe even like researching a bit more about it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I do wonder how like um, how the foreigner dating experience is outside Tokyo compared to in Tokyo. I don't have that many re- uh, personal reference points for that, but I've definitely heard like general statements about Japanese people outside Tokyo, you know, being more friendly and open. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, that's kind of what you hear about any major city really. Yeah, I mean, like, well, being in, in Sapporo, um, I've never, like, lived in Tokyo before, and I've never dated anyone from Tokyo. So mm. from from what I'm gathering from your impression is that people in Tokyo are quite cold when you approach them. Is that is that is that correct? Oh, uh, yeah. that Yeah. <laughs> Generally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sapporo isn't really like that at all. Like, to hear that about Tokyo surprises me, because in, in huh. Sapporo... I'd, maybe I've had it a couple of times where people have been cold towards me, but generally, yeah, not not at all. Very friendly. Um, mm. Even if they're not really interested in talking to you, they'll be polite at least. Um, right. They won't. They won't just like give you like a mean look or something like that. You know, like back in <laughs> right. back in England, for example, <laughs> if you could, if you chat someone up in London, they would give you like the the stink eye or something like that. Uh, um, yeah. But in Sapporo, it's quite rare. For me, anyway, I don't know about Burke. Have you experienced some uh, nastiness on the first approach? Um, I mean, I've been shut down uh, when trying to hit on people before. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, at the same time, like 
like, uh, I mean, I was just thinking about some of my uh, past long-term relationships, like how do they start? Like, you know, one of the best ones was just a girl that I started talking to at a cafe. Um, some of the other ones, you know, people I met out on the, you know, out in the city and stuff. So and some of them were introductions. The ones for introductions, even though they were always like nice people, like they never really seemed to go anywhere. Um, hmm. I'm not sure why that was, but, uh, I mean, have you th- tried to approach like, uh, businesses, uh, you know, implementing or adopting your book as part of their like training materials? Cause it has like everything in there, like finding new apartments, everything. So, yeah, you know what? I actually, for some reason I was only just thinking about that recently. But yeah, I do think that would be a great place. Like any multinational company that has a presence in Japan, I think uh, could make use of this for sure. One of the things we did was earlier this year, we collaborated on a welcome guide for a housing company um, called Modern Living Tokyo. Uh, So that goes out to all their English speaking tenants. So that was pretty cool. It would be cool to do more projects like that. So that was a, a welcome to Tokyo guidebook as well, like similar to the Hacking Tokyo. Uh, super um, short though, like really just kind of going over the very basics, including specific things about modern living Tokyo's uh, own apartments, kind of basic resources from Hacking Tokyo in there. Oh, okay. So that was like a, a section that you kind of put into Hacking Tokyo as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who are the main people that you think or were thinking about when you're creating this or or who are the type of the people that could benefit from this the most? I'd say people who are dreaming about exploring Tokyo, exploring life in Tokyo, but aren't confident because they don't speak the language uh, or they don't really know how to go about it. Uh, That could be like exchange students, um, anyone looking to travel for an extended period of time, digital nomads. Or even uh, new expats or arrivals, especially, you know, people who don't have a solid support group or finding it difficult to adjust. If you, um, if you were to give some advice to, say, someone that was visiting Tokyo for a weekend, um, what, would, what would your advice to do and not do would be? For, for a one weekend? Week, yeah, weekend only. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of people have like stopovers in Tokyo for the weekend on their way back from Asia right, or something. Right. Yeah. yeah, I've actually um, compiled a short list of that for every friend who's asked me that question. <laughs> um, I actually, well, not that short. It's a pretty long list. Um, but like with all the food, like it's just, an, it's kind of endless. Honestly, I feel like it's endless. Uh, the amount of like good food, things to do there. Um, one of my favorite events uh goes from like april to october uh called oktoberfest <laughs> uh in japan in in tokyo at least it's uh starts in april um and it just like kind of moves from one park to the next um and it's uh pretty amazing it's one of those few places you can see like japanese people en masse like drinking singing and partying after work uh so a big fan of those one thing people don't may not have researched about for like a tourist trip would be um, Okinawan food, which is pretty awesome. Okinawan soba. Yeah, or ski, what else? It, yeah. What's it called again? I've uh, soki soba. 
Soki soba. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that food is like super good. And I like the vibes at those restaurants, like kind of like a Pacific Island sort of like Hawaii vibe almost. And yeah, as far as going out, you've got like your mainstream sort of like pop hip hop clubs in Roppongi and, uh, like all the, and a pretty big electronic music scene, um, in Shibuya and lots of bars there too. So. So you'd recommend Shibuya and Roppongi for, uh, for nights out. Nights out for sure. Um, as far as like outside of Tokyo city, um, one of my best memories was doing a few hour hike on Mount Fuji. Um, I didn't do the full length hike. You can take a bus up to like one of the stations and then hike from that station to the next, which is a couple hours. Um, and it was uh, pretty amazing. It was pretty surreal. Another was wandering around in Kamakura uh, when one of my close friends from LA was visiting. So is, is, I mean, I've, I've, I went on the train past Kamakura, like I never stopped, but I heard it's kind of like a mini Kyoto. Is that, is mm. that accurate? That sounds right. I mean, I only spent a couple of days in Kyoto, so I'm not totally sure, but uh, they've got like hiking down there, temples, um, a Buddha. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty awesome. And they got a nice beach as well, haven't they? I heard. All right. Nice beaches nearby. Well, th- thanks a lot for joining us today, Merrick. It's uh, it's been real interesting talking to you, and uh, yeah, your ebook's pretty cool. So we're gonna we'll uh, we'll put a link to that on our on our description page. Is uh, is any any last kind of comments you wanna you wanna add or talk about your uh, the Hacking Tokyo guidebook? Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on on the podcast. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone who's really curious about the ebook or moving to Japan and has some specific questions about life in tokyo as a foreigner tokyo is a pretty amazing city to explore yeah and people can find uh your ebook at the website uh hackingtokyo.com also it's available on amazon are there other easy places where it's accessible uh those two places um and people can also follow us on at uh at hacking tokyo on facebook and instagram yeah, again, I think it's great, man. It has like, I mean, it's a very complete book. Total is like, what, 65 pages? And, yeah, yeah. I mean, it covers everything from the moment you land, but it also has good advice and a lot of information from people that have been in Japan for a long time. So I think it's a helpful uh, reference basically for anybody who's got some sort of interest or connection to Japan. So thank you for uh, for reaching out and letting us know about it. Awesome. Thanks to you guys. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we hope to catch you guys soon. Thanks. <laughs>